Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And as I said, welcome in Avs fans and see you later St. Louis Blues, right? After a sweep, Avalanche has dominated the entire series. I mean, it, it, I didn't see a sweep coming, but boy, does it feel good. And obviously the Avalanche are, I'm sure, looking forward to this nice little break here. Remember about a week ago when I said that it's going to be a six-game series and it's going to be a close two to two after four games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was stupid. I don't know why I said that because the Avalanche just absolutely handed it to the Blues. Like, this was a good series against a good team. And no disrespect to the Arizona Coyotes. They've taken a lot of hits already. They don't need one from some guy with a podcast in Denver. But that was not a good team last year. The Avalanche had to kind of cruise through the first round. Granted, it was in five games, not even four, just to get to the second round. This time they played a good team and they did really good. And uh, I think this is only going to be a good thing for the Avs and it's going to give them all the confidence they need heading into the next round. I, I know there were a ton of empty net goals in there, but I think one really telling piece of the entire series is just the fact that every single win was by more than one goal, right? They not we only call covered that, the puck line, but they covered the, the minus yes, two. we call that the puck line in gambling worlds. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they, they led by three, they led by three, they led by four, and then one by three. So, I mean, that just goes to show a dominant series. You did see some scratching and clawing from St. Louis, especially in game three and four, but it just wasn't enough. No, not at all. And they scored the first goal today, being Sunday, in the, in, in the fourth game, and they got that one nothing lead. That was their only lead of the whole series. Mm-hmm. And it lasted not very long because they scored in the second, and then Brandon Saad came back and made it a 1-1 game. They just had no answers. It was clear as day the Avalanche were the better team, and they played better, and they outworked the Blues. They led for all of, let's see if my math is good here, 7 minutes and 12 seconds mm-hmm. between the Tarasenko goal and the Saad goal. In four full games, they had seven minutes and 12 seconds of actually leading the Avs. And uh, Ryan O'Reilly said it perfectly after the game. They asked him, were the Avalanche the better team? And he said, clearly, that's it. Just the Avalanche were the better team in every possible facet of the game. I know one player doesn't make that big of a difference. You can look exactly at Nazem Kadri and see how the Avalanche still finding success without him. But how much did not having David Perron in the series really hurt the Blues as we found out right before the series that he was out with COVID protocol? Uh, It hurts them. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it doesn't. I don't know if it hurts them enough to make it a series. I don't even know if it hurts them enough to win a game. Maybe the games are a little bit closer. Maybe the Blues don't get outscored 20 to 7. Uh, But the fact of the matter is the Avalanche were the better team, and they were the better team where a David Perron would not have made a difference. If you told me it was David Perron, David, uh, uh, Jaden Schwartz, Colton Pareko, and Jordan Bennington all sitting, yeah, you know, that's kind of, you start to get to the point where it's, it's a little too much. But I don't foresee that David Perron would have made enough of a difference in this series to even give the Blues an extra win, let alone a series and, and comp- you know, being competitive with the Avalanche even a little bit at this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that, mainly because uh, David Perron's bread and butter against the Avalanche this year was really on the power play, right? And the Avalanche were so disciplined that yeah. this entire They're series... Didn't get any that, shots. Yeah, he wouldn't even have the opportunity to really pro- provide what he produces. So, um, yeah, I don't think... I'd, 
just covering my bases for any St. Louis Blues fans out there that are going to say, oh, well, we didn't have Perron. It's not fair, right? I just don't think he would have made that big of a difference that it would have, uh, you know, provided an X factor for St. Louis. You know, for years, the Avalanche have been hearing and Avalanche fans have been hearing that injuries are part of the game and you just have to deal with it. So deal with it because the Avalanche had a lot far greater injuries this year, a lot greater injuries last year in the playoffs, the year before that against San Jose. For anybody to think that the Blues lost because David Perron was missing. Make no mistake about it. He had a good season. But we're talking about David Perron. We're not talking about their version of Nathan McKinnon. We're not talking about their version of Miko Rantanen or Kale McCarr or Sam Gerrard or Burakovsky. I just listed four or five guys that are more valuable to the Avs than Perron would be on this team, you know, outside of maybe Burakovsky. So it's, it's just not an excuse that anybody's going to have time for. I don't think a lot of people are actually genuinely using that as an excuse and actually mean it, um, but it's good try. <laughs> Obviously, it's the first avalanche sweep since 01, right? And we keep seeing these comparisons to the 01 team that are coming to fruition, like, like that one, yeah. for example. And I just think, you know, going into the playoffs, being the favorite pretty widespread across the league, it's just so huge to come into the first round and get a sweep and still maintain that favorite, I, I guess, ideal set, right? Still maintain everybody's opinion of you're still the favorite because you didn't struggle whatsoever. You came in and got the sweep. I just think it's huge for the mindset of the team to be like, all right, yeah, we were the favorite. We thought we were going to have a, a bit more of a test, and we came in and weren't even phased. So we're still the favorite, and we believe it too. Yeah, and I, I'm writing about this right now. I haven't published it yet. In today's edition of the Dean's List, I talked about how the team that wins a President's Trophy usually comes into the playoffs with this overbearing amount of pressure to really be that good of a team. And more often than not, they falter. If they make it out of the first round, it's not usually a four or five game series. It's usually six, maybe seven, or they end up getting beat in the first round. We saw it with Tampa Bay a couple years ago. We saw it in the past with the, Anahe with the San Jose's against Anaheim and things like that. Uh, it's hard to be the President's Trophy winners and then come out and win four straight games to start the playoffs. And the Avalanche did it this year. And the last time that anybody did it was that 2001 Avalanche team. So it's just great to see that they're kind of sticking to that, uh, to, to that mode that we are, this we are the best team in the NHL. We are the team that won the President's Trophy. And as we've been saying all season, they got hot at the right time. They ended the season strong. Yes, I know it was a bunch of games against L.A., but they ended the season strong. They beat Vegas in regulation when they needed to. And now here they are, four straight wins against St. Louis, 20 goals versus seven against. And now they're waiting their second round matchup, likely the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I mean, they were hot for quite a long time, too. I mean, they really only had about a two-week stretch where they got cold for a second and COVID and injuries happened, but they, they got right back to it. So that was good to see. Before we start breaking down each of the last two games, just keeping the whole series in mind, what do you think was the biggest facet for the Avalanche to get this victory in, in the series here? Just a relentless forecheck. A forecheck. I like for, it. Just, just checking in general. Bedner likes to say checking. We checked good today. Just straight checking. It was relentless. They controlled the puck for a majority of the series because they checked the Blues well every single game. They suffocated the offense out of them. Right. For once... This Avalanche team is thriving on things they did without the puck, right? That's what I really think won, yes. won this uh, series for them, too, was their defensive structure, their ability to frustrate the hell out of the St. Louis Blues. I mean, St. Louis 
has some weaponry, and they just couldn't get much of it going at all. You'd see them enter the zone, and they're immediately pinched off right uh, on the boards there. So, yeah, the, the defensive structure for this team was really what impressed me the most. I mean, y you liked what McKinnon did. You liked what Landeskog did throughout, but I, I don't think they're anywhere with the way, without the structure that they ran. Not so much the personnel, but the personnel executing Jared Bednar's defensive plan, and they did it perfectly. And that's what's so crazy about this team is that everybody that they've brought in has bought into the system so well. And that includes guys like Devon Taves, guys like Brandon Saad, bringing back Carl Soderberg. Everybody's just fit in so well and they mesh so well because everybody kind of is pulling the same rope because of that system that Bednar has implemented where away from the puck, they are just doing a great job of checking, whether they're forechecking, they're backchecking, they're they're not allowing the other team to get any bit of pressure. And it's been happening all season. I mean, the Blues had that game where the Avalanche won 2-1 on that, you know, third period uh, game winner a couple of weeks ago, which feels like forever ago, where the, the Golden Knights kind of had a little bit of pressure uh, late in the game where they were able, or most of the game actually, where they were able to control the puck. But in the end, the Avalanche just didn't give them enough room. And then they did the same thing to the Blues right now. They obviously did it to LA. They did it to Minnesota. They've been doing it all year, and Vegas is used to it and is going to be able to try to game plan. And Pete DeBoer has beaten Jared Bednar in a playoff series before. Let's just see if he, can has, if he has what it takes to do it against a Bednar who's two years more experienced than he was the last time they met. Yeah, we'll get a little bit deeper into uh, what could possibly come into the next round towards the end of the podcast here. We'll dive more into that. Funny thing is, Min Minnesota can still win three straight. Imagine that. Anything's possible, <laughs> they've, right? I they've, mean, They've done it to the Avs before. I liked your point last podcast where you said how hard it is for a team to go into a road building on game three and steal it, even if they are up to nothing. Um, and that's exactly what we saw in game three, right? I mean, it, there was a moment there where you thought, okay, St. Louis might take this game and might put themselves back in the series. And I think really the moment that broke that for them was that stupid Bennington play. I don't even know what he was thinking. It's like he didn't see Ryan Graves coming. Ryan Graves made the goal, which he almost didn't. But that, I think, was really the moment that broke St. Louis. Up until that point, I thought they had a chance to win that game and put themselves back in, in the series here. Yeah, and it just kind of seems like that every single game. As soon as the Avalanche get one goal, they take over the game. And uh, in game one, they, they led one nothing for a while. The Blues tied it. It got to the third period. Boom, instantly 2-1 to one early in the third. And then they took over the game. Game two was the same thing. Game three, as soon as Graves got that first goal, it was like, we're good. We got this. And then in game four, again today, Tarasenko made it one nothing, and you're like, oh, maybe the Blues are going to give it a little bit of a push. And then Brandon Saad scores on the power play, and it's like, okay, we're good. We got this. And they did, and they scored once more in that period. They took a 3-1 lead and then obviously added all those empty netters later. Yeah, I mean, so typical of what we've seen from the Avs all season, right? Kind of how I've said that they only play half the game. It's not That wasn't the case. They played hard all game, but they don't start scoring. They only pick one half of the game to score in bunches, right? And yeah, the, the, the St. Louis Blues were up one nothing, And again, you're sit, starting to think to yourself, all right, maybe they steal one. But once, they, once Saad got that tying goal, you could see a flip mentally from the St. Louis Blues. I think they just got deflated, and they're like, oh, they tied it. They're going to come back and win. We, we just lost this one again. So, yeah. you know, I think the Avalanche did a good job in that regard, just making sure they kind of bullied them mentally, I think, all series long. They just knew that they didn't have a chance once that game was tied in Game 4. This Game 4 reminded me a lot of the Game 5 series against the Calgary Flames a couple of years ago where 
the Avs took a 3-1 to series lead off of a great overtime winner from Miko Rantanen in Denver, went back to Calgary for Game 5, and the entire game, you just knew it was going to be over tonight. The Avalanche were going to beat them, and they were going to end the series, and it was the same exact thing today. You didn't really get the sense, even when they went up one nothing, that the Blues mentally, truly had what it take what it took to win this game and what it takes to make a comeback in the series. Granted, being down 3 nothing is no easy task. At least the Calgary Flames a couple years ago were the number one seed in the West, down 3-1. to one. It's a little bit more feasible to say they can make a comeback. But to be the, the lower seed against the President's Trophy winners, down 3-0, uh, missing David Perron, missing Justin Falk, just, there was no reasonable expectation from the Blues in their own mind that they actually had what it took to make a comeback. And you noticed that throughout the game, even when Tarasenko scored. Of course, I think the biggest benefit right now of being the first team in the NHL to get into the second round is just the break that they're going to have, right? I mean, it's going to be huge for rest. They're not battling too hard with injuries or anything like that right now, but just a chance to uh, anything that might be lingering or might be bothering, even though it's not enough to take you out of a game it's going to be nice to treat it right now yeah we saw Alex Newhook leave the game which you know obviously no disrespect to him it's kind of maybe the 11th or 12th most important forward on this team right actually he's the 12th most important forward on this team right now he's not even 11th um so it's going to be good for him to get a little bit of rest he had a little bit of a stiff back situation after hitting into the boards Jared Bednar said but for everybody else it's going to be just a matter of rest and recovery it's it's there's no specific injuries that any of these guys have that we know of because obviously we know how the playoffs go but the fact is this is going to be good for rest good for recovery and good for them to kind of regroup and get ready to go when they play whether it's most likely vegas or slight chance the minnesota wild even uh that they're ready to go and they feel healthy and they feel good really i'm trying to think i don't think anybody was even banged up aside from bellamare who might have no. you know might be dealing with something blocked one too many shots yeah yep. exactly he he was going all out this entire series the, my favorite shot was when he had one of those what are the, the tampon things that you stick in your nose um yeah <laughs> uh yeah so i i just love the way bellamare's playing he's just such a great playoff style i know i kind of ripped on him all regular season but he's a perfect playoff caliber player in my opinion he is, yeah, and he's doing exactly the kind of thing. This is why I said you don't want to split up that Comfort-Belmar pair, which they ended up doing, but on the PK, they've kept them together, and they're doing exactly that because Belmar has just been relentless in blocking shots, relentless in taking hits, relentless in making plays defensively. As we always say, the best thing you can do defensively is take a hit to make a play, and Belmar seems to have done that the entire series. But Outside of him, is there really anybody else? And I don't really think so. I mean, there could be, but when you look back at the series, and especially this last game, as much as it was a physical series and Nazem Kadri got kicked out and is suspended now and uh, for, for a dirty illegal check to the head of, of Justin Falk, and we saw what happened with Bertuzzo and Joe, and we saw the Landeskog fight in game one, this was not by any means a physical series. There was not a lot of hits in game four. There were barely any hits throughout the series, and the Avalanche kind of were able to make easy work of the Blues in four games without having to deal with the physical demand of an NHL playoff series. I would call it physical in the sense that there were a lot of corner battles, a lot of battles on the wall, not so much hit on hit, you know, shoulder to shoulder, but a lot of digging, you know, that, that tiresome form of hockey. I think that just comes with playoffs, but also just comes with the style that St. Louis likes to play. And Avs adapted and, and played it with them. 
yeah. beat them at their own game, I'd say. They beat them at their own game while still playing their game of just being a relentless checking team that suffocated the ever-living life out of the Blues. And and that's kind of the the theme of this series is the Avalanche gave the Blues no chance at even generating anything throughout the night, throughout the series, and throughout the entire week because it was only a one-week series. It started Monday, and it's Sunday, and it's over. It's, it was that quick. And we're talking a lot about how few players might enjoy the rest. I'm thinking about Philip Grubauer, and I feel like he barely even broke a sweat the entire series. He might not even want a rest. He's probably ready to keep going and keep, you know, he loves that uh, momentum and that routine that he's probably just ready to jump right into the next series if it was up to him. Yeah, I think so. He he seems locked in, and he's been locked in all season. And as long as that guy's not playing every other night, he's going to, I mean, we don't know how he does two nights in a row because Bednar hasn't given him that opportunity. And I'm sure if that opportunity arises in the playoffs, we very well will see Grubauer because I don't think Bednar is going to pull the rug and be like, no, no, here comes Johansson or Dubnik because it's a back-to-back. But Grubauer has been locked in all year. That's the one guy that has looked good, hasn't dealt with any injuries. He dealt with a COVID thing, which, you know, maybe is going to stop him from getting COVID again as long as he doesn't break any rules to have to go into protocol for other reasons. Um, he seems locked in. He seems ready to go, and it's it's kind of been the same mindset all year. I think, was it you that said it last episode? You said his mindset this year and his like persona has been that picture of him with the shades at Lake Tahoe. It's literally how it's been the entire time, and we talked to him again today after the game and just business as usual, just a, just a very great guy, just answering the questions, knowing, hey, I'm Philip Grubauer, and I'm doing what I got to do to win these games. Yeah, I just can't emphasize enough. I, every single game, even today, he was really wowing me with that presence that he suddenly has. I feel like maybe he had it in years past and it just wasn't quite fine-tuned and he still wasn't making a few saves, but just the way he's punching blocker saves out and, and gloving, gloving pucks down, like he's just so just not rattled about it, right? You look like a, at a goalie like Marc-Andre Fleury who tends to be a little bit spastic in net, right? He's sliding, he's diving, he's doing all these crazy movements because he's really wiry to make these saves, but Grubauer is just slow, calm, punching him. i just never seen such a calming presence in a goalie. Like, I honestly think he's, he's surpassed Bernier. I've talked before how that was a trait of Bernier's that I really like. I think he's now suddenly the most relaxed goalie I've ever seen in goal before I think so too and I really like it and and the fact is a lot of goalies take a little bit of extra time to uh to reach that peak and to reach that form that is their best game and uh that's what it's taken for Grubauer he's 29 years old he will be 29 through the playoffs he'll turn 30 in November uh you know assuming the avalanche give him a new contract which I suspect they will he'll be 30 years old starting this new deal entering his prime so some goalies just take a little bit of longer time, and that's okay. And and the fact that he peaked at the right time with the rest of this team just goes to show just how well-built this team is and well-constructed and how lucky they are to have everybody kind of pulling in and becoming the best version of themselves at the same time for this playoff run that just looks like it's just, you know, been a perfect, uh, a, a perfect built, a perfectly built team ready to go on a run. Yeah, I mean, they always say that goalies come into their own around age 28 so i mean a year yeah. removed from that he's uh right on schedule i guess so um yeah i can't i can't talk enough about how great he looks right now and in my opinion con Smythe caliber if we just take that first series into account yeah no absolutely i mean right now nathan mckinnon's got six goals but he's got three of them on an empty net he's played well 
Landis Gog, we talked a lot about the heart that he's had in this series, especially those first two games. Makar's been doing his thing. Devon Taves quietly still, just like in the regular season, being just an exceptional shutdown defenseman. And I was talking about this with with uh, with Mike the other day. Devon Taves is this version, this team's version of Adam Foote. And it, it goes to show the difference in style of play that the NHL has kind of undergone over the last 20 years where Adam Foote was this big physical stay-at-home defenseman and Devon Taves is a guy that can put up points but is a stay-at-home defenseman who can move the puck, skate well, and, and is just smart hockey IQ kind of guy. And once again, he is quietly having a great playoffs, just like he was in the regular season, is kind of flying under the radar because Sam Girard is Sam Girard and Kel McCarr is doing what he does. And De- Devon Taves is just kind of a workhorse, right? I feel like Jared Bednar is throwing him out there on as many opportunities as he can possibly handle, and he's shining in them. I- I'd love to get to the chance to ask him like, kind of what you thought going into this season. Obviously, you knew you were coming into a good team. You knew you were a good player, but did you really anticipate having this big of a role on this good of a team, right? He, I, I, we all knew he was good. We all expected big things from him, but I think he came in and even surpassed those expectations. Yeah, the funny thing is when we were first talking about Devon Taves, it was, well, is he going to uh, surpass Ryan Graves and play with Kel McCarr, or is he <laughs> going to stay on the third pair? And now he's he's the le- he's the leader on this team in, in, in minutes. He plays the most minutes per game. He's... He's again. He's Adam Foot. He's this generation of of uh, Adam Foot. He plays twenty four minutes per game for the Avalanche. He played twenty four fifty four per game for the Avalanche in the playoffs. Almost two minutes more than Makar and two and a half minutes more than Gerard. While we are pumping the tires of the defensive group, let's take a second to recognize Ryan Graves. I think he had an exceptional series as well, right? I mean, you always saw him in the middle of plays. You even saw him in the middle mucking it up a lot of times and getting in people's faces. So um, I really loved the series that Ryan Graves had, aside from those few penalties early on. Yeah, one goal, three assists, four points. Obviously, most of them came in that one game on uh, Friday on his birthday. He had a plus nine rating and... He looked great. He had 12 shots, which is kind of crazy that Ryan Graves averaged three shots per game in this series. It just goes to show how good the Avalanche were at just applying that pressure. But he had more shots than Kilmacar, more than Taves, more than Gerard. He led the D in shots, and he was right there with the, with the big boys on, on, in offense in terms of how much shots he had. And just all around, he had a great series, and I think, uh, I think he's somebody that needed that because his regular season wasn't as good as what we saw from him last year. Agreed. But that's interesting that he's leading the uh, defensive group in shots. I did not know that, but it makes complete sense, right? We talked about it last week. That's just the the mindset that he's always in. He's trying to produce yeah. offense. Even though it's not exactly his strength, he's always looking to get the puck on net. And I see him practice it all the time in practice, morning skates. That's what he loves to do. Nathan McKinnon's working on you know, doing that little puck line. He lines up pucks and he goes through them. Ryan Graves is working on getting his wrister to the net. So, um, yeah, he loves he loves shooting and... That makes a lot of sense. I, I'm glad yeah. you pointed that out. So here's the funny thing. The top five Avalanche players in shots, you got McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, and then you got Ryan Graves. Can you take a wild guess who the fifth guy is in that group? Top five leaders in shots in the series? Uh, wild guess? Yeah. Burakovsky. Close, but not close enough. It's Valerie Nichushkin. He had 13 shots. McKinnon had 16. Rantanen had 15. Nichushkin and Landeskog both had 13. Then Graves had 12. Had 12. The thing is for Nichushkin, if you remember, he just scored that last empty netter. That was his only goal of the series. So he's trying his hardest to generate that offense. He ended the series with one goal and one assist, and it was an empty netter at the very end to make it 5-2. 
So there's just a little weird note there, but like Nichushkin, Ryan Graves, it's surprising how many shots he has. And like Nichushkin, he's got a goal and he's he's pitching in, man. These guys are all pulling their own weight and doing what they need to do to help out. Literally all fronts, right? Every single facet of the Avalanche's game is going at a top-notch level right now. Even the yeah. power play has been huge. It's been crucial for them this series. And they scored a power play goal, what, what was it, just a couple seconds left today? Yep. And that's the one that got them back into it. No, so, no, 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 I, JJ. They went three for three on the power play today because Mike Hoffman's double minor for high oh, sticking yeah. counted as a power play goal for <laughs> McKinnon and for Val. So the Avs were three for three on the PP today. Don't ever let anybody take that away from them. Wow, that's amazing. So what what did they finish the series at? Because I know they were... That's a good question. What were they last... At, during our last podcast, I think we said they were three for five, if I remember correctly. They finished the series with a whopping 50%. Wow. Obviously, those last two at the end kind of helped it, but it doesn't matter. They don't sure. ask how. They ask how many, and the Avalanche had three today on three opportunities, uh, which is pretty crazy to think. So... Yeah, that power play is looking damn good for the Avs right now. They had, uh, I believe it was six power play goals for on 12 opportunities. Well, hopefully that carries over and that all this stuff that's going right for them continues. I mean, obviously throwing a, a different opponent in there throws a lot of different tweaks, but as long as they're relatively close on all facets like they have been in this last series, I mean, you can't expect anything but great things to come. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the thing is in the playoffs, we've been talking about this a lot, is you don't get that many opportunities on the PP. It's not like the regular season where when the Avalanche are going through a bit of a, a a cold streak on the power play, it's like, oh, they are two for 30 over their last six games. It's You're not going to get 30 opportunities in, a, in five or six games. I mean, we just said it right now. They got 12 opportunities in the series, and the last two were that double minor from Mike Hoffman. So they had 10 leading up to when the Blues pulled their goalie in you know, nearly four games minus a minute and a half or whatever it was. So you're not going to get opportunities. So when you do, you very badly need to take advantage of them. Yeah, absolutely. I guess this is a perfect little time to take a second and tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook because it's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over-under will drop by one point. Every better who hammers the over in the featured game helps lower the game's over-under. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right. You can double your money by simply hammering the over. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit, withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the over hitting, so tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code MHS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager. One per customer. Offer ends May 23rd. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Only a few more hours left in the day, so you guys got to jump on that because that's a heck of a deal. Yeah, I remember earlier in the season they had something like that during the regular season, and the over-under got all the way down to one point. So you just had to 
get one point scored in a basketball game and everybody hit the over. So that was awesome. But yeah, playoff times are exciting and it's even better time to, you know, get get some action in and and, you know, put your knowledge to the test. I was at the uh, Nuggets game last night. I was just going to ask you about that. My voice is a little off, right? Because I was booing Carmelo so hard. And of course, the referees as well, because it's the NBA. And of course, the refs are going to ruin everything. But um, yeah, it was just fun to be in the building and have action. That was the first time I had gotten to do that at a Nuggets game because it, you know it was really since COVID that we've had this betting even a thing being legal. So yeah. just having the action no and being one at the game was bet. probably one of the no most fun things. No one used to bet before. No one used to bet before gambling became legal this year. Wink, <laughs> wink. Nope, it never used to happen. But yeah, I mean it is awesome, and it's it's. I'm really waiting for the. For all sports, the NBA, the NHL, all these sports, even the NFL especially, that's the big one, to kind of enhance their live betting experience because that's going to be a lot of fun, and those are going to be massive revenue generators, and they're just going to be cool to to experience in person. So that's going to be really fun. I think we're slowly going to get there as these years go by. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's Greg Wyshynski we always hear talk about the New Jersey Devils Stadium has betting kiosks in the freaking building. How cool would that be to – go during intermission and be like, I'm really feeling the abs here. They're going to win by two or they're scoring next or anything, anything. I mean, just betting at a kiosk is so fun and easy. Well, I can't wait. Till not only, not only betting at a kiosk, but having betting available at the tips of your fingers. Like, you know, I think this is an example. Wyshynski has been talking about this for years, enhancing that live betting experience. It's imagine the avalanche go on the power play. You pull out your phone, you press on the app and it says the abs are about to start a power play. Here's your odds for Nathan McKinnon to score a power play goal. Minus 110. And you're taking live action in that moment from the rink while watching the game. It's it's part of this new rise of technology and having a fi- the the phone and and the internet and these betting experiences at the palm of your hands, obviously in your cell phone. It's it's just going to be really fascinating to see where where these leagues go with it. I wish there were odds on what the Kadri suspension was going to end at. Right? Yeah. What do you think eight games? would have been at i think that would be kind of a long shot because it's pretty brutal i put it at a plus 150 maybe i would say yeah like 160 175 um it is a little bit much for my liking i know we talked about it and i know you said the six to eight game range and i know i said likely the rest of the series plus the first two of the next series which as we've seen the series ended in four games so my idea would have ended up only being four games games three and four plus games one and two at ball arena eight games is a lot Eight games is a lot, and Nazem Kadri deserves it, but at the same time doesn't because the NHL just hasn't really done a good job of setting a standard with the remainder of the players around the league that have been getting suspended, and especially for head hits, that it is a little bit questionable, and I think Kadri has every right to follow through with the appeal that he's going to be doing, as was announced earlier today. Right, so I guess what goes into that, and what do you anticipate the outcome being? Do you think he wins? Do you think there's a good chance that they hear him out, or do they maybe just say, no, you, you're a repeat offender, we did what we did for a reason, and that's that's it? I I don't think he's going to win. I respect that he's appealing it, because I even wrote a story about it, and he does. He has a very good case to make. Look, everybody that has been suspended for illegal checks to the head over the last couple of years has gotten two games. Jerry Bender talked about it in his post game where he said they went back and they looked at all, all of the players that had been suspended. And then when you look at what the NHL does with the repeat offender thing, I know there was a little bit of a clarification that needed to be done about the, uh, the 18 months thing, which they ended up clarifying is, is in relation to how much money you forfeit when you get uh, suspended. So 
Kadri is a repeat offender. We know this. He's been suspended in the past. But the NHL tends to do this thing where they don't go as hard on you if you do something different than the previous time. So he's never been suspended for an illegal check to the head. He's been suspended for boarding where the head was a contact. He's been suspended for cross-checking where he had, you know, the, the cross-check was to the head of Jake DeBrusque. But an illegal check to the head had never been something that he's done before. Um, I believe, actually, no, he's done it once. It was with Matt Frazier in, in Edmonton six years ago. So the problem that I have with his suspension is that they threw the book at him and set a standard that just is does not align with the standards they've set for other players around the league. And I know it's the easy one to turn to, but Tom Wilson just got fined $5,000 for punching a defenseless Pavel Buchnevich in the back of the head when he was on the ice. So they didn't suspend him for the Panarin thing, so we're not even going to talk about that because they made it clear what he did to Panarin was okay. It was the punch to the back of Buchnevich's head that led to the $5,000 fine. Well, when you look back at the track record that Tom Wilson has, he's been suspended in the past for, for aggressive plays like that. He's been suspended for targeting the head. He's been suspended for for things related to that, and they still did not throw the book at him. So do I think he's going to win the appeal? Not necessarily, but at the same time, he does have a good argument to make that. I am being made the poster boy for suspensions while you're not doing it to anybody else. So what good does it do to set a standard if when the next guy does get suspended, you're not going to hold him to the same standard you hold me to? It seems to be a standard you've set for me versus a standard for others. I also think it's it was a hockey play, right? It wasn't a cross-check to the face. It wasn't uh, a scrum after the whistle like in Tom, Whistle's, uh, Tom Wilson's case. It's It was him just simply trying to make a play during the, That's the, thing. During the game. So, um, yeah, it's crazy to me that, you, that Jared Bednar said they went back and watched video of a, a lot of old hits. That guy has to be always watching video. I wonder if he He's ever always sleeps, on, dude. right? I mean, the, all the video he's got to watch of his own team and then – Got to watch video of the other team and then watching videos of other hits. He's just, he's just always on the he's clock. Preparation. That yeah. guy's got to be tired. That's, how, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be an NHL coach. You're always on the clock, but he does have a good point. He made a good point, and I like that he went through and did that. So Nazem Kadri's appeal is going to happen, and there was a very interesting note that Nick Kiprios added into it that Kadri is going to hire outside counsel which is very different because usually the NHLPA hears the hearing, but Kadri's going out of his way to hire outside lawyers. He's really, really feels, he feels really strongly about the fact that he doesn't deserve eight games, that he's going to make efforts to bring it down. Uh, Darren Dreger at TSN said that the first part of his hearing could be heard midweek this upcoming week, and that obviously will involve uh, Gary Bettman before it ends up going up to, an ar- to a neutral arbitrator. So... Kadri's taking this very seriously. This isn't a situation where, I mean, it is his right. When you get suspended for more than five games in the NHL, it's your right as the player. It's part of your CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, where you can appeal. But Kadri isn't just appealing this because, oh, it's my right. It's worth a shot. He's appealing this because he feels very strongly about it, and he's going to do everything he can to make sure that he comes out successful. Obviously, we haven't heard from him, so we don't know his actual take. What do you think he would deem as fair obviously he'd be silly to think he doesn't deserve a suspension at all but what do you think he his goal is what is he trying to achieve by this appeal honestly so i mean he would never say it to media he would never say i deserve x but deep down inside i think he feels like he deserves three maybe four games 
That's it. Because if a regular Joe Schmo gets two games for uh, illegal check to the head in the regular season, then Nazem Kadri should get more to that, especially adding the uh, conversion rate, as I like to call it, for playoff games, because in the playoffs, games are worth much more. Three playoff games is a respectable amount. I mean, if it gets upheld and the Vegas Knights series is going to be as challenging as I think it's going to be, that puts him back in the series at Game 7, which could really be a nice little yes. fire starter, right, if it gets that far. If it gets that far. Yeah, if it gets that far. And that's kind of the thing that's a little bit funky about beating the Blues in four. You only had to do it without Kadri for two games. It would have been almost weirdly enough to say, like, it's better for the Blues to win one or two to get him back earlier. But then, you know, all your other players are playing more hockey because you want to get Kadri back earlier in the next series. So it doesn't really make sense. But you get the point. It starts to add up like that where he's going to miss, if this is upheld, six games against the Golden Knights if it goes that far. Um, the funny thing is, the crazy thing is, if the Avalanche lose in four or five games against the Golden Knights, the leftover one or two games of his suspension has to be served at the beginning of next year's regular season. Hmm. So he's not getting away from the eight games one way or another, if it's upheld. That's kind of dumb. But uh, yeah. yeah, obviously, while he was missed in certain facets, the Avalanche were still able to get the job done without him. So let's look at the guy who jumped in there, and that's JT Confer. Um, how did he handle the, the second-line duties? How did you like his game? And then, of course, Carl Soderberg getting back in the lineup. What did you like about his addition? Soderberg is a, is a depth piece. He's not as important as he was a couple years ago, and it's good to see him getting some games in. He wasn't really noticeable in, in much of a positive light, nor was he noticeable in much of a negative light. He's a fourth-liner. He's a grinder. He's a guy, and he kills penalties. That's great. That's good to have. JT Confer, second line center. I loved it. He played great. He's kind of uh, he he started to to get her get her going late in the regular season. He got hot at the right time. He peaked at the right time. He looked good today. Uh, do you remember that three the three consecutive stops that Bennington had on him today, where yeah. it was one save, two saves, three saves. That was sweet, yeah. That, to be honest, that was a really a good nice series. saves. And, yeah. and Bennington had a hell of a series and was the Blues' best player, probably the only good player throughout the series, but. Comfort played well. I liked it. I like seeing him with Burakovsky. I like seeing him with Donskoy, and I just like that line. I mean, it's going to be a matchup against the Golden Knights. He's going to go up against the Chandler-Stevenson line or, or the William Carson line, obviously, but I think he can handle it. I think the Avalanche will be fine without Kadri, and if or when he does come back in that series, be it Game 7 if it gets there, or earlier if the suspension gets appealed and, and overturned, then... You know, that's just going to be an added bonus. But JT Confer has been doing well. And, and I respect that he's kind of taken that next step because he didn't have the best regular season until late in the regular season. Well, let's look ahead at the upcoming series. As you've talked all podcast long, we're pretty sure it's going to be Vegas. I think Minnesota just kind of missed their window to take advantage of some, yeah. of some lack of scoring from Vegas. Game right? two, man. Game two, they had that two nothing lead and then they blew it. While we that's were recording, where, that's right? where it was. <laughs> yeah, while we were recording, that's where it all got screwed up. They needed a two nothing series lead in Vegas. Right, and they could have. Uh, they had it. It was right in the palm of their hands, and they let it slip. So now I think, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint, Minnesota's out of it. Vegas is just the better team, so I see them definitely putting their foot on the gas and getting the rest of the series done here. So let's start preparing for them. Uh, obviously, the biggest challenge, the series I've been waiting for all season long. I'm excited for Everybody's it. Everybody's been waiting for right, it. Right, yep. right, exactly. So I think it should be high power, but at the same time, you brought up last podcast how Vegas typically just has a hard time scoring in the playoffs, and this playoffs doesn't seem to be any different. Yeah, uh, 
but you know what, man? Every game's a different game. Every series is a different series. The Avalanche are on right now. If you're the Avs, uh, the idea of hoping Minnesota beats Vegas shouldn't even be in, in like something that you're thinking of because this team is so good and you know you're, the, you're that good that it doesn't matter who you're playing. Bring on the Vegas Golden Knights. In the third round, bring on Tampa Bay. Bring on Carolina. Bring on, uh, you know, Boston or, yeah. or, or Toronto or whoever. You're the avalanche. You should feel very, very confident in your abilities to win those games. And what's a championship if you go the whole way without beating some of the better teams, right? I mean, I think... Uh, the first round was not an easy matchup. I need to say that again. The Blues are a good team. Sure, sure. I just mean you want to beat those good teams on your way to the championship exactly. to make that championship yep. feel more deserved, more, wow, we really earned the hell out of this one. Yeah, I mean, again, I have to say this again. Coming out of that 2020 bubble playoffs, the Avalanche were expected all season to play a good team because it was St. Louis, Dallas, Colorado, and I'm missing another team that were all fighting for those top four spots. And you knew that the Avalanche were going to end up, you know, likely in that 2-3 range playing the Dallas Stars in the first round, and it was going to be a tough matchup. Well, the bubble happened. The whole playoff, uh, playoff tree and the playoff format changed. They ended up playing the Arizona Coyotes. The 2019-20 Colorado Avalanche that had an excellent regular season, were one of the best teams in the NHL, ended the year winning one playoff series, and it was against the Arizona Coyotes. They don't feel good about that. Mm -hmm. They never have. They never will. At least now, they've beaten the St. Louis Blues. They're going to play likely the Vegas Golden Knights. Getting into the third round, if you get there, you've already beaten two excellent teams, and it's only going to get harder from there. Congratulations, you just beat the Golden Knights. Well, here's Boston, who, by the way, the Bruins are up 3-1 on Washington with five and a half minutes left. They're about to end that series, too. So here's Boston. Here's Pittsburgh. Here is uh, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Carolina. That's when the real competition starts. If you want to win the Cup, you have to beat good teams. There's no easy teams in this league. Yeah, and that, uh, that's the way you want it done, right? You'd hate to win the championship on an easy road, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, that's all I really have to get in uh, on the series before we get into the Mile High Sports three stars of the week. Actually, we're going to do the three stars of the series, which was less than a week, six days. So anything else you want to throw out there uh, before we get to that? No, that's basically it. I'm excited for this Vegas series because uh, this year, Mark Stone is basically Ryan O'Reilly on steroids, and it's going to be really fun to watch that. Right, and uh, the goaltending matchup, obviously, is what I'm most yes. excited for. It's going to be awesome. and. Um, you know, while I love playoff intensity and I love good goaltending battles, I really don't want this series to be just a bunch of 2-1 games. Yeah, no, I don't think it will be that. These offenses are just way too good for it to end up like that. Well, that brings us to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. And these are the three stars of the entire series. And they're honestly quite predictable. We even talked about all three of them in the exact same uh, breath yep. of earlier in the podcast so star number three has to go to Gabe Landeskog for being just an amazing captain and just taking his role to a playoff level I mean he's always been good and he's always done things the right way but he definitely elevated his game five six days ago and uh coming into a series against the Vegas Golden Knights he's gonna need to elevate it to an entirely new level because of the kind of physicality that team plays with uh, so a lot of eyes are going to be on Gabe Landeskog, but I think he is up for the task, and he's very much deserving of the third star. Let's get a uh, game one first period fight again. Oh, boy. 
Who's he going to take on? I, I don't know. There's some tough to guys on that side. Mark yeah. Stone. Fuck it. That'd be a great Let's one, right? Ca- captain on captain. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Man, I feel like Mark Stone, you know, he's got some screws loose. That might be a scary yeah. fight. <laughs> um, I think so, too. Star number two, obviously going to Nathan McKinnon for just being himself, doing what he did, and violently thrashing around the ice and um, scoring goals. Yeah, so... He wasn't that good because he was outscored by the St. Louis Blues in the series seven to six. So he oh, just missed the cut. Loser. And he cheated. He <laughs> I know he cheated. He scored three of them on an empty netter. So the Blues outscored him seven to three. So whatever. He's I guess he's deserving of the second star. He's my hero right now because all the puck lines he covered with those empty nets. Yeah. Shout out to him, right? <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for him uh today. I mean, obviously he ended up sh- scoring the empty netter from center ice and just kind of shot it at the net. Um, but I was waiting for him to just take a clapper from inside the crease <laughs> into the empty net and just blow a hole through it and through the glass and just be like, I got this. Like As we've know. seen from from uh, his past empty netters, yeah. right? And, of course, star number one, the guy I think deserves a con Smythe and even deserves a serious nod at the Vesna Trophy. That's Philip Grubauer. I just, again, I can't explain enough how much of a leap he's taken in my eyes in this past year and exactly what you needed from him no injuries and and just playing stellar hockey hopefully that continues i also liked seeing dubnik back on the bench yeah that 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 was awesome to see dubnik back but the funny thing is like there's a lot of episodes you can go back on on this podcast and listen to that are like bad takes exposed one of them being as i look at the score from the corner of my eye that the avalanche are going to play the capitals in the stanley cup final this year but no take is worse because the Capitals are about to lose and get knocked out. But no take is worse than the... Was that your take? Yeah, that's that's what I had predicted at the beginning of the season. I said Avs versus yeah. Caps and the Avs will win the Cup. Um, but no bad take exposed has been worse than the um, Grubauer versus Francouz. Which goalie do we take? Who cares? Bring in Mark... Uh, not Mark Crawford. Bring in Corey Crawford. Bring in Marc-Andre Fleury. Bring in another goaltender because Grubauer is only going to be here for one more year wrong philip grubauer's gotta stay here he's gotta sign a three to five three to six year deal and be the avalanche's goalie for the foreseeable future until Annan or whoever else is ready to take the reins uh again my entire opinion of him has changed like yours over the last year and it's because of the season he's had the mindset and the way he's done it just goes to show that he's matured into one of the best goalies in the nhl yeah and without the group in front of him too he's nothing so you also have to give a nod to just the way the defenses run things this year too yeah for sure and and it's it's again it it takes a lot to be a goalie that can play this good when you don't face that many shots and he's found a way to do it and he does it with a calming presence and that's what you need because your leading scorer is this guy whose screws get loose so you may as well have the have the nice calming presence it's kind of the opposite of what Joe Sakic and Patrick Wall used to be where the centerman was the nice quoteless guy and the <laughs> yeah. goalie was the wacko so now it's a little different i like that comparison but yeah 100% spot on i mean uh yeah amazing stuff from Philip Grubauer all year that's all i got to say I don't, I'm trying to think right now. You, you brought up how we were discussing how bad we wanted Marc-Andre Fleury. If the option was available again right now, Grubauer or Fleury, it, it'd be hard for me to, t- to not take Grubauer. I mean, I love Fleury, and I think he's one of the greatest goalies of all, all time. I mean, that goes without saying, making the playoffs 15 years in a row, right? But just what Grubauer's bringing to the table right now, I think is second to nobody else. Maybe Vasilevsky. Well, yeah, well, there's a lot of good juju that Fleury has with the Vegas Golden Knights that he just didn't have in his last two or three years in, in Pittsburgh. Um, 
I thought it was a situation where Vegas finally gave him an opportunity to have the crease without anybody challenging him because his backups were like Malcolm Subban and Oscar Dansk and all these guys. But even that was wrong because they brought in Robin Leonard. He's another starting goalie and Fleury is still beating him for the crease and is, is the one, you know, leading the way and has the better numbers and deserves to be the one leading the way. But uh, whatever it is that's happening with him in Vegas, it's just very good juju that he's had since he was drafted there, since he became the face of that franchise that I don't know if he would have with the Avalanche. So I'm with you right now. If you told me you can trade for Marc-Andre Fleury, or not even trade, you can get Marc-Andre Fleury for free at the $7 million he makes, or you can get Philip Grubauer signed for, you know, let's just say $7 million just for argument's sake, I would still take Gruby, and I don't even think Gruby's going to make $7 million on his next deal. Man, I'm just getting so giddy for this goaltending matchup in the next so round. Excited. I can't wait. I'm game so five, Game five between the Wild and the Knights tomorrow at 830. I'm sure we'll all be watching. And if the Golden Knights wrap it up tomorrow, do, does the next series start Wednesday? I would say Thursday probably. I would say they'd give them a couple days off. They'd give them Tuesday and Wednesday off, and then they would start Thursday, which is what would have been game six of the Avalanche and St. Louis series. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, yeah, I guess that's a good place for us to stop. What a what a round, what a series it was. Awesome. Obviously not the goal, so got to keep moving forward, and we'll be here to podcast as we continue to move forward through this next series. I'm excited for it. Yeah, for sure. This week's been a grind, and you can probably hear it in my voice. It's just a tough recording because I am just so exhausted, but it's good that the Avalanche are getting some time off. I'm excited to get a little bit of time off, and uh, the content's going to keep coming. I'll have more Dean's List, more stories. We'll talk. I'll, I'll break down that cadre appeal as it comes through. Shout out to everybody that read my story yesterday about my opinion about him, uh, you know, how he should appeal the suspension and, you know, rightfully so. And he's doing that today, but we'll keep them coming and we'll see you at Ball Arena for game one. Don't forget about our videos. Even though the last one I did, I was playing very guilty on that one. My, my, I feel like my eyes were half shut on that one, but uh, I'm having fun with those videos. We still got the clicks and people loved them. Yeah, I'm having fun with them, too. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, and then uh, so hopefully we'll have one from Ball Arena after game one. Hopefully they don't hit us with another 845 start, but I'm not going to hold my breath because that's probably the way (laughs) it's going to go. Yep, especially playing a team that's actually in the Pacific time zone this time. So that's going to be fun. And lastly, let's get the stupid Nuggets to figure out what they're doing. That was bad yesterday. Yeah, that was brutal. (laughs) Well, that'll do it. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Hockey's for everyone. We got you.